Act Four of Henry the Fourth, Part One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Henry the Fourth, Part One by William Shakespeare. Act Four. Scene One: The Rebel Camp near Shrewsbury. Enter Hotspur, Worcester, and Douglas. Well said, my noble Scot. If speaking truth in this fine age were not thought flattery, such attribution should the Douglas have, as not a soldier of this season's stamp should go so general current through the world. Oh, by God, I cannot flatter. I do defy the tongues of soothers, but a braver place in my heart's love hath no man than yourself. Nay, task me to my word, prove me, Lord. Thou art the king of honour. No man so potent breathes upon the ground, but I will beard him. Do so, and tis well. Enter a messenger with letters. What letters hast thou there? I can but thank you. These letters come from your father. Letters from him? Why comes he not himself? He cannot come, my lord. He is grievous sick. Sounds. How has he the leisure to be sick in such a rustling time? Who leads his power? Under whose government come they along? His letters bear his mind, not I, my lord. I prithee tell me, does he keep his bed? He did, my lord, four days ere I set forth, and at the time of my departure thence he was much feared by his physicians. I would the state of time had first been whole ere he by sickness had been visited. His health was never better worth than now. Sick now? Troop now? This sickness doth infect the very life-blood of our enterprise. Tis catching hither, even to our camp. He writes me here that inward sickness, and that his friends by deputation could not so soon be drawn, nor did he think it meet to lay so dangerous and dear a trust on any soul removed but on his own. Yet doth he give us bold advertisement, that with our small conjunction we should on to see how fortune is disposed to us. For, as he writes, there is no quailing now, because the king is certainly possessed of all our purposes. What say you to it? Your father's sickness is a maim to us. A perilous gash, a very limb lopped off. And yet, in faith, it is not. His present want seems more than we shall find it. Were it good to set the exact wealth of all our states all at one cast? To set so rich a main on the nice hazard of one doubtful hour? It were not good. For therein should we read the very bottom and the soul of hope, the very list, the very utmost bound of all our fortunes. Faith, and so we should, where now remains a sweet reversion, we may boldly spend upon the hope of what is to come in. A comfort of retirement lives in this. A rendezvous, a home to fly unto, if that the devil and mischance look big upon the maidenhead of our affairs. But yet I would your father had been here. The quality and hair of our attempt brooks no division. It will be thought by some that know not why he's away, that wisdom, loyalty, or mere dislike of our proceedings kept the earl from hence. And think how such an apprehension may turn the tide of fearful faction, and breed a kind of question in our cause. For, well you know, we of the offering side must keep aloof from strict arbitrament, and stop all sight-holes, every loop from whence the eye of reason may pry in upon us. 
this absence of your father's draws a curtain that shows the ignorant a kind of fear before not dreamt of. You strain too far. I rather of his absence make this use. It lends a luster and more great opinion, a larger dare to our great enterprise than if the earl were here. For men must think, if we without his help can make a head to push against a kingdom, with his help we shall o'erturn it topsy-turvy down. Yet all goes well, yet all our joints are whole. As heart can think, there is not such a word spoke of in Scotland as this term of fear. Enter Sir Richard Vernon. My cousin Vernon, welcome by my soul. Pray God my news be worth a welcome, Lord. The Earl of Westmoreland, seven thousand strong, is marching hitherwards, with him Prince John. No harm. What more? And further I have learned the king himself in person is set forth, or hitherwards intended speedily, with strong and mighty preparation. He shall be welcome too. Where is his son, that nimble-footed madcap Prince of Wales, and his comrades, that daft the world aside and bid it pass? All furnished, all in arms, all plumed like estridges that with the wind baited like eagles having lately bathed, glittering in golden coats like images, as full of spirit as the month of May, and gorgeous as the sun at midsummer, wanton as youthful goats, wild as young bulls, I saw young Harry with his beaver on, his cusses on his thighs, gallantly armed, rise from the ground like a feathered mercury, and vaulted with such ease into his seat, as if an angel dropped down from the clouds, to turn and win the fiery Pegasus, and witch the world with noble horsemanship. No more, no more, worse than the sun in March this praise doth nourish agues. Let them come, they come like sacrifices in their trim. And to the fire-eyed maid of smoky war, all hot and bleeding, will we offer them. The mailed Mars shall on his altar sit up to the ears in blood. I am on fire to hear this rich reprisal is so nigh, and yet not ours. Come, let me taste my horse, who is to bear me like a thunderbolt against the bosom of the Prince of Wales. Harry to Harry shall, hot horse to horse, meet and never part till one drop down a course. Oh, that Glendower were come! There is more news. I learned in Worcester, as I rode along, he cannot draw his power this fourteen days. That's the worst tidings that I hear of yet. Ay, by my faith, that bears a frosty sound. What may the king's whole battle reach unto? To thirty thousand. Ah, forty let it be. My father and Glendower being both away, the powers of us may serve so great a day. Come, let us take a muster speedily. Doomsday is near. Die all, die merrily. Talk not of dying. I am out of fear of death or death's hand for this one half year. Exeunt. Scene two. A public road near Coventry. Enter Falstaff and Bardolph. Bardolph, get thee before to Coventry. Fill me a bottle of sack. Our soldiers shall march through. We'll to Sutton Cofield tonight. Will you give me money, Captain? Lay out, lay out. This bottle makes an angel. And if it do, take it for thy labor. And if it makes twenty, take them all. I'll answer the coinage. Bid my lieutenant Pito meet me at town's end. I will, Captain. Farewell. Exit. If I be not ashamed of my soldiers, I am a soused garnet. I have misused the king's press damnably. I have got, 
in exchange of a hundred and fifty soldiers, three hundred and odd pounds. I press me none but good householders, yeomen's sons. Inquire me out contracted bachelors, such as had been asked twice on the bands. Such a commodity of warm slaves as had as leave hear the devil as a drum. Such as fear the report of a caliver worse than a struck fowl or a hurt wild duck. I pressed me none but such toasts and butter, with hearts in their bellies no bigger than pins' heads, and they have bought out their services. And now my whole charge consists of ancients, corporals, lieutenants, gentlemen of companies, slaves as ragged as Lazarus in the painted cloth, where the glutton's dogs licked his sores, and such as indeed were never soldiers, but discarded unjust serving men, younger sons to younger brothers, revolted tapsters and ostlers trade-fallen, the cankers of a calm world and a long peace, ten times more dishonorable ragged than an old-faced ancient, and such have I, to fill up the rooms of them that have bought out their services, that you would think that I had a hundred and fifty tattered prodigals lately come from swine-keeping, from eating draught and husks. A mad fellow met me on the way and told me I had unloaded all the gibbets and pressed the dead bodies. No high have seen such scarecrows. I'll not march through Coventry with them, that's flat. Nay, and the villains march wide betwixt the legs, as if they had jives on, for indeed I had the most of them out of prison. There's but a shirt and a half in all my company, and the half-shirt is two napkins tacked together, and thrown over the shoulders, like an herald's coat without sleeves, and the shirt, to say the truth, stolen from my host at St. Albans, or the red-nosed innkeeper of Daventry. But that's all one, and they'll find linen enough on every hedge. Enter the Prince and Westmoreland. How now, blown Jack? How now, Quilt? What how? How now, Madwag? What a devil dost thou in Warwickshire? My good lord of Westmoreland, I cry you mercy. I thought your honour had already been at Shrewsbury. Faith, Sir John, tis more than time that I were there, and you too, but my powers are there already. The king, I can tell you, looks for us all. We must away all night. Tut, never fear me. I am as vigilant as a cat to steal cream. I think to steal cream indeed, for thy theft hath already made thee butter. But tell me, Jack, whose fellows are these that come after? Mine, Hal, mine. I did never see such pitiful rascals. Tut, tut, good enough to toss. Food for powder, food for powder. They'll fill a pit as well as better. Tush, man, mortal men, mortal men. Ay, but, Sir John, methinks they are exceedingly poor, and bare, too beggarly. Faith, for their poverty, I know not where they had that, and for their bareness, I am sure they never learned that of me. No, I'll be sworn, unless you call three fingers on the ribs bare. But, sirrah, make haste, Percy is already in the field. What, is the king encamped? He is, Sir John, I fear we shall stay too long. Well... To the latter end of a fray and the beginning of a feast fits a dull fighter and a keen guest. 
Exunt. Scene three. The rebel camp near Shrewsbury. Enter Hotspur, Worcester, Douglas, and Vernon. We'll fight with him tonight. It may not be. You give him, then, the advantage. Not a whit. Why say you so? Looks he not for supply? So do we. His is certain, ours is doubtful. Good cousin, be advised, stir not to-night. Do not, my lord. You do not counsel well. You speak it out of fear and cold heart. Do me no slander, Douglas, by my life. And I dare well maintain it with my life. If well-respected honour bid me on, I hold as little counsel with weak fear. As you, my lord, or any Scot that this day lives, let it be seen to-morrow in the battle which of us fears. Yea, or to-night. Content. To-night, say I. Come, come, it may not be. I wonder much, being men of such great leading as you are, that you foresee not what impediments drag back our expedition. Certain horse of my cousin Vernon's are not yet come up. Your uncle Worcester's horse only came but to-day, and now their pride and mettle is asleep, their courage with hard labour tame and dull, that not a horse is half the half of himself. So are the horses of the enemy, in general, journey-baited and brought low. The better part of ours are full of rest. The number of the king exceedeth ours. For God's sake, cousins, stay till all come in. The trumpet sounds a parley. Enter Sir Walter Blunt. I come with gracious offers from the king, if you vouchsafe me hearing and respect. Welcome, Sir Walter Blunt, and would to God you were of our determination. Some of us love you well, and even those some envy your great deservings and good name, because you are not of our quality, but stand against us like an enemy. And God defend but still I should stand so, so long as out of limit and true rule you stand against anointed majesty. But to my charge, the king hath sent to know the nature of your griefs, and whereupon you conjure from the breast of civil peace such bold hostility, teaching as duteous land audacious cruelty. If that the king have any way your good deserts forgot, which he confesseth to be manifold, he bids you name your griefs, and with all speed you shall have your desires with interest and pardon absolute for yourself, and these, herein misled by your suggestion. The king is kind, and well we know the king knows at what time to promise, when to pay. My father and my uncle and myself did give him that same royalty he wears, and when he was not six-and-twenty strong, sick in the world's regard, wretched and low, the poor unminded outlaw sneaking home, my father gave him welcome to the shore, and when he heard him swear and vow to God he came but to be Duke of Lancaster, to sue his livery and beg his peace, tears of innocency and terms of zeal, my father, in kind heart and pity moved, swore him assistance, and performed it too. Now when the lords and barons of the realm perceived Northumberland did lean to him, the more and less came in with cap and knee, met him in boroughs, cities, villages, attended him on bridges, stood in lanes, laid gifts before him, proffered him their oaths, gave him their heirs, as pages followed him, even at the heels in golden multitudes. He presently, as greatness knows itself, steps me a little higher than his vow made to my father, while his blood was poor, upon the naked shore at Ravenspurg. 
and now, forsooth, takes on him to reform some certain edicts, and some straight decrees that lie too heavy on the commonwealth, cries out upon abuses, seems to weep over his country's wrongs. And by this face, this seeming brow of justice, did he win the hearts of all that he did angle for. Proceeded further, cut me off the heads of all the favourites that the absent king in deputation left behind him here, when he was personal in the Irish war. Tut, I came not to hear this. Then to the point. In short time after, he deposed the king, soon after that deprived him of his life, and in the neck of that tasked the whole state. To make that worse, suffered his kinsman March, who is, if every owner were well placed, indeed his king, to be engaged in Wales, there without ransom to lie forfeited, disgraced me in my happy victories, sought to entrap me by intelligence, raided mine uncle from the council board, in rage dismissed my father from the court, broke oath on oath, committed wrong on wrong, and in conclusion drove us to seek out this head of safety, and withal to pry into his title, the which we find too indirect for long continuance. Shall I return this answer to the king? Not so, Sir Walter. We'll withdraw a while. Go to the king and let there be impawn some surety for a safe return again, and in the morning early shall my uncle bring him our purposes. And so farewell. I would you would accept of grace and love. And maybe so we shall. Pray God you do. Exit. Scene 4. York, the Archbishop's Palace. Enter the Archbishop of York and Sir Michael. Hi, good Sir Michael, bear this sealed brief with winged haste to the Lord Marshal, this to my cousin Scroop, and all the rest to whom they are directed. If you knew how much they do to import, you would make haste. My good Lord, I guess their tenor. Like enough you do. Tomorrow, good Sir Michael, is a day wherein the fortune of ten thousand men must bide the touch, for, sir, at Shrewsbury, as I am truly given to understand, the king with mighty and quick-raised power meets with Lord Harry, and I fear, Sir Michael, what with the sickness of Northumberland, whose power was in the first proportion, and what with Owen Glendower's absence thence, who with them was a rated sinew too, and comes not in, or ruled by prophecies, I fear the power of Percy is too weak to wage an instant trial with the king. Why, my good lord, you need not fear. There is Douglas and Lord Mortimer. No Mortimer is not there. But there is Mordake Vernon, Lord Harry Percy, and there is my Lord of Worcester, and a head of gallant warriors, noble gentlemen. And so there is. But yet the King hath drawn the special head of all the land together, the Prince of Wales, Lord John of Lancaster, the noble Westmoreland and warlike Blunt, and more co-rivals and dear men of estimation and command in arms. Doubt not, my Lord, they shall be well opposed. I hope no less, yet needful tis to fear, and to prevent the worst, Sir Michael, speed. For if Lord Percy thrive not, ere the King dismiss his power, he means to visit us, for he hath heard of our confederacy, and tis but wisdom to make strong against him. Therefore make haste, I must go right again to other friends, and so farewell, Sir Michael. Excellent. End of Act 4